Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020 and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. I'm Lara Lightbody, the producer of this show. Apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in, and at the same time preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hi, my name's Leanne. I'm speaking from Wellington in New Zealand. I'm originally from Australia. I'm a mum of two adult children who are at university and have just moved home. I've worked in international theatre education for most of my life, but now my husband and I own our own boutique lodge in New Zealand. At the moment, I'm sheltering with my husband, both our daughters, who are 18 and 22 years old, um, our cat and our dog, Gwenny and Flower. And that has been our bubble. We have been in shelter at home or lockdown in New Zealand, we call it, for various degrees, but for the last 58 days. We have a four-scale system, and we started on March 25th. And from March 25th until the 4th of May, we were in 30 days of lockdown at level four, which was our extreme degree of lockdown. I haven't found any country that was like that. So nothing was open except supermarkets. There were some pharmacies open. There was no postal services. There was limited rubbish collection. There was um, no recycling connection. It was only that's just started up at level two, actually. And there was only essential workers allowed to go to and from work. You couldn't travel outside of your, probably within two or three kilometres of your home. You weren't allowed to travel. And when you were going to the supermarket, you would only have one dedicated shopper per family. And you would queue for hours because they only let probably 10 people into the supermarket at once. And when another person came out, another person would go in. New Zealand is typically are very compliant people. They work together. They respect authority, not to the point of being subservient or anything like that. And it was a combination of the culture that already existed within New Zealand, because New Zealand was founded, when it was first set up, it was found on a classless society. When you come here, it is quite classless. So there wasn't like the haves and haves not in the port. There are, but everybody treats each other with respect. Everybody said we're in this together. The other thing was the Prime Minister at the time, who was brilliant at handling crises, and that's really, she's done amazingly well. She locked down with, in her, in the Prime Minister's house, 
with her family, but she also locked down with the um, finance minister and his partner and the director of health and their family. And they became one bubble that they locked down in. Jacinda is a, she's a great communicator with empathy and that taps into their New Zealand psyche. And people saw this as an unknown and they really respected it. They didn't buck the system too much. I would put a large part of this success is on the temperament of the leader. Her calm, straight away she made the comment, she said, we're all in this together. We're a team of five million. You need to be kind to each other and you need to support each other. And not to, you know, you are going to do this tone. And she would explain everything. And the other thing, which she started to do very early, and it was, I know it was just, it's now become an amazing tool for her. At the end of the day, when she'd finished meetings and everything, she would be there literally and do a quick Facebook video post. And she would just check in to anybody who wanted to listen. She said, look, I mean, here she is, she'd be in her sweatshirt, you know, she probably got vomit on her shoulder from a baby. And she said, look, I'm just checking in. It's about nine o'clock at night, just making sure that we're all in this. We're hanging in there, guys. We're going to move it down. The cases are looking better. And she talked to everybody as though she was their best friend. And people would ask questions and she would answer them in real time. And she kept saying every time, be kind. And that was a slogan that was picked up by the grocery stores and by everybody because people were starting to get a bit antsy, having to wait, say, for hours and hours and hours, getting waiting to get into supermarkets. And when you get there, the checkout person now suddenly can't help you pack your bags. You can't have your bags on the conveyor belts. You have to sort of have it on your shoulder and put it in there or and everything was sterilised. People were getting frustrated and they'd start to take it out on the checkout operators and things. But she'd come across and say, be kind to people. And I think people realised that actually the doctors and the nurses and you know a lot of the police weren't actually the ones who were our essential services. It was a lot of the people who were at the front line of other areas that needed the respect. And that sort of shifted a whole sort of mindset. The respect for her has grown and she's grown into the role. That history of great leaders, they were the first to give women the vote. The whole country was established as a secular society with no religious overtones of the Church of England, even though it was an English colony. Then you get this sense. There's not sort of the wealthy, wealthy areas. You don't drive in a suburb and there's the amazing wealth. You do notice a difference, but it's very much egalitarian. And that's what Jacinda is able to tap into. It doesn't have the pockets of extreme that the States or England or somebody maybe do. We are also a population of only 5 million people. That is something to be considered. The community spread, though, didn't happen. And New Zealand, Jacinda closes the borders very early. And that was quite strict. And they put people in the quarantine. I think that made a big difference because tourism here is huge, absolutely huge. So it was the end of summer. Tourists were pouring in and they were closed. Summer in New Zealand is from December, January, February, but actually the autumn months of March, April and May are our peak tourist season because the weather is the most reliable. So the tourist market shut down and tourism is our second biggest export or import, sorry. The industries that have really suffered have been a hospitality or the tourist outlets. And the government was really quick in responding to supporting financially everybody, particularly in those industries. Literally, 
with payments in your bank account to support for wages. I think that also kept people at bay. They said, okay, we've got our eight weeks of payment now. We feel good. We can stay. We can keep doing this because I can still pay the mortgage and things. They stopped all flights arriving. It was just cancelled. And that was also the same as within New Zealand. So we had a warning about probably six days before we went into lockdown on the 25th. And the warning to the people living here is basically you've got a week to get to where you want to be or where you need to be in lockdown, whether you're back with family, whether you're working down in the South Island, you need to be up there. And so we were given until midnight on the 25th or midnight the 24th. That's when regional, the ferries, the internal airlines, everything was ceasing, was stopping. The only people you could be with was your immediate bubble in your house and within your two-kilometre range. Now we're looking at a trans-Tasman bubble. Australia seems to have their cases under control to the point and New Zealand does now. So there's been big push on a trans-Tasman bubble between New Zealand and Australia, also because about 50% of our tourists and the income from tourism comes from Australia. Australia and New Zealanders, they have lots of relatives in either or country. They've sort of moved and married. So, for example, I've found it quite frustrating because my mother, who's 80-odd, is in Perth. My brother and family are there. If anything were to happen to her, I can't get back there. I can't be there for her final. Even with a passport, I could try possibly to get a special compensation, but there aren't any flights. I can't get out. Today, it's four o'clock in the afternoon, New Zealand time. We're heading autumn into winter, so it's starting to get darker at night. It'll be dark by about five-ish here, and it's definitely getting cold. Windy Wellington is what we're known for here. So I'm looking out the window now. We have huge big trees out the back of our yard and I'm waiting to see if there's a, a New Zealand tui. There will be. That's a fruit tree and they come round and they pick all that. So the bird song that we hear is amazing. Now that we're in stage two, the streets are definitely coming to life. The noise, traffic, the buses, the people are walking, but there's still definite hangovers from when we were at lockdown four or even lockdown three, because at lockdown four, you were only allowed to be out within just a kilometre or two from your house. So you could go to your local park or you could walk around. And it was interesting during that time because people would come out and you would give each other a berth because there were hardly any people on the streets. You'd literally come up to people. Everyone was very courteous and lovely and you always give them a smile, but you'd always do this huge manoeuvre onto the road and back again. And some of that is still happening now, maybe not quite as wide. What I really found out on the streets when we were in lockdown four, which I think is really important because it was some of the things that really I noticed was how the bird life came back. And we've got amazing native birds and things coming in here. But just the amount of native birds and the bird song that was around in the trees and you could hear was so much more because you didn't have any of that traffic noise. Very early on, there was a sort of push that everybody would put a teddy bear in a window and just to show solidarity. And it was also, it was like the teddy bear hunt. The parents would take their kids out and they'd go around looking at houses and they'd go around their neighbourhood and they'd look for the different teddy bears and they'd say, oh, there's a teddy bear and or they were in cars. It was like a hide and seek type thing. So that was quite nice because the whole of New Zealand did that. So that was sort of something 
that was really nice feeling out in the streets with families. What hit me more than anything else at stage four out in the streets is when you were queuing to go into a supermarket and there was only one person per household, you would stand with your recycled grocery bags over your shoulder. And because you're only one person, you had to stay two meters apart from the other person. And it was eerily quiet. Nobody would talk, nobody would engage, nobody would do anything like that. You'd be waiting for hours in this queue and everyone was on their phones. But it was just this society that seemed really dysfunctional because they weren't communicating, they weren't talking, they were just sort of like going through surviving. And we're going into some colder weather, so um, you know it was getting a bit colder. And then when you went into the supermarket, normally you'd hear kids running or the hustle bustle, none of that. It's like going into a library. For me personally, the observation that I've noticed is that I have felt a real sense of slowing down. And when we went into lockdown four, it did take a bit of adjustment. But after a while, after a week or two, and it started to become the norm, I really felt such a relief in this sense of slowing down. I noticed I'd sleep until 8.39. And whereas I used to feel guilty, it shifted. And I thought, well, there's no mad reason to be getting up. What am I going to be doing? And so that started to become normal. I've seen it with my daughters as well. Our whole lives have slowed down a bit to include more reading, personal time, stillness, board games, exercising, all those things that I think we had lost a lot of out of the pace in which life went about. And because it's been locked down for so long and because we've been like this since not just like a week holiday or something, it started to actually tap into my psyche and I say, actually, this is a good way to function. I don't need to be like this all the time. And it's really still a sense of it there. And I'm going to make sure that that is embedded in my life going forward. Also connecting with people that mean something in my life, maybe that I had lost track of or just through busyness or just through traveling or just through living in different countries we just sort of separated a bit. And this happened both ways because I noticed people would have, they would be contacting me just through social media and, and tracking down to have, I was just thinking of you and I remember the time and remember this photo when we were so and so. And a lot of that sort of rekindling of relationships that were very solid and were still there, but the time and the value that you put into relationships had sort of been taken over by everything else. Personally, my internal voice, the voices in my head and my emotions went on an absolute roller coaster towards the end. And that was a combination of being around my husband 24-7 all the time and the girls to a point and just not having our own space. I became very emotional. I am menopausal. so It is a combination of, I think, hormones. We sort of touched a piece of ourselves and life and humanity and relationships and all those things, which I think we should all hold on to. Things become more real as well. That's what I found interesting is when you were locked down and you weren't suddenly sort of doing a lot of surface level stuff, the deeper stuff came to the fore. It did make you do lots of sort of emotions and thinking and what about this? And, you know, I had doubts about marriage bits and this and oh, I, 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 that's always irritated me with what he's done now I'm living with him all the time but then I had to work through all of this and actually look at the bigger picture of things and look at really the important things in life 
I feel there are a lot of people who haven't got the luxury of being able to be in a safe environment at home. And I have. So we made the most of that, even though, you know, we did get on each other's nerves. And I think that's a luxury in itself. But there were other people I know who weren't in that space. And I really felt for them because they were in a abusive relationship anyway. And now the spouse would never leave to go to work. It just got worse and worse. And so I'm so grateful that I wasn't in that space. My only message that I really have is that I felt like this is only temporary. It is something that will pass. I'm a big believer in fate and that lots of things happen for a reason. And I think the big reason of this was to make us wake up to the society that we were becoming with flying, jet set, this, that. This has made us look at another way of operating, reconnecting with people, of reconnecting with ourselves. This is just sort of like a shift that's going to become a new norm where there's going to be some of the old, but I think people it's giving us distance and perspective that we needed. A lot of this is doing amazingly good things for the world. When I saw the differences that the aerial satellite photographs were taking over China, when all the factories shut it down, or even in Delhi, having lived in India for 10 years, and friends who were still living there were sending photographs because it was always a smog, and, and they were sending photographs of these clear skies and blue skies that they could see and stars at night, which they hadn't seen in all our time of living there. And so I think that it is a bit of the world waking up to itself a little bit and the people in in the world waking up to itself. I still think there's a long way to go, but there's no other way that we could have seen the benefits of what, how the world can be if we just slow down. It will pass, we will see family again, and hopefully we'll come out of it richer in our perception of the world and each other's. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. It's Lara Lightbody, the producer of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, here is where I need your help. Hit the subscribe button so Coexisting comes up automatically in your feed. Secondly, write a review and rate with stars, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anyone out there that you think would make a great guest, just get in touch. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn as Coexisting Podcast. That way, that many more people will find us.